Welcome in to Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Hello to everyone streaming us live on YouTube or if you're watching back or listening back to the replay. Welcome as we are, man, 48 hours away. Well, 48 hours plus away from a gigantic UFC fight card this Saturday from Las Vegas. UFC 264. Alex Dono joined by great friend, reunited, and it feels so good, Frank Zaffrey who just uh, recreated a Twitter account today. So make sure you follow him. You see the Twitter handle on the screen at F Zaffery. Make sure you throw my man a follow because he just created a new Twitter account. I think he's got six followers right now. He created it yesterday. So get this man's follower count into like quadruple digits at least. Frank, good evening, sir. How are you? It is a pleasure to be reunited with you and especially James Walker because now we have like now we have real talent on the show. I mean, before it was just you and I, but now we've got legit ESPN pedigree talent on the show. And James I, Walker, of course. James, uh, formerly of ESPN, been a, a friend of mine for a really, really long time. He and I have been talking fights for like the last nine years that we've known each other. Good evening, right. James. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy to be on. And uh, again, happy to be reunited with Frank. Uh, we got the band together, the three of us together. We did a few shows uh, a while ago. I feel like it was five, six, seven years ago uh, when I joined a couple times. But glad we're doing this on a regular basis. So I I think it's going to be tremendous MMA content that you're not going to be able to get anywhere pretty much. Yeah, and I think the timing to start the show tonight was perfect. And we it had to be tonight because we're two days away from UFC 264, the trilogy fight between Dustin Poirier, who took the second fight, and Conor McGregor, who won the first fight all the way back in 2014. We didn't have to wait as long this time for a rematch. We only had to wait six months this time after waiting seven years between the first two fights. And, you know, guys, as we're going to be joined here in about eight minutes by Lee Sterling from ParamountSports.com. He's a professional sports handicapper. He's going to help us break down this entire fight card, the main card from a betting standpoint. Later on in the show around 7 o'clock, we're going to talk to a professional fighter, trains locally at Samford MMA, Gabriel Barletta, who's fighting for Combate Global on July 16th on CBS Sports uh, Network and Paramount+. Plus. We're going to have a lot coming up on the show, but Guys, I wanted to dive head first into, frankly, the most important topic heading into the weekend uh, with Dustin Poirier taking the second fight by knockout in the second round. Um, Frank, I'll start with you and then James hop in and I'll give my two cents. Uh, what adjustments does Connor need to make for this third fight? Has he had enough time to make those adjustments? And how different do you think this fight's going to look from the one we saw back in January? I mean, just to give you and the audience a heads up, I'm going to take a decidedly negative tone on Conor McGregor throughout the show. Uh, You know, look, I mean, for all of his accolades and all of his achievements, the one thing that you cannot say about him is that he has evolved as a fighter at all. Um, Most of the problems that have been exposed with Conor McGregor continue to exist with him. And the period of time with, with which he could have actually made some real progress, he spent that time learning a different sport boxing so you know when you talk about what adjustments he's going to make I think you're talking about the same kind of a thing we saw with Nate Diaz where you know what was the adjustment really with Nate Diaz if you watch it back there really wasn't one except 
maybe trying to conserve just a little bit of gas and literally running from his opponent in the fourth and fifth rounds to escape what he knew would certainly be a chokeout. So, you know, in this fight, I think what you're going to see is the only adjustment he can possibly make, which is to finish the fight fast. So I think you're going to see a super aggressive Conor McGregor headhunting right away, charging across the octagon, headhunting as fast as he can, because he knows any deep water for him is is miserable. And letting uh, Dustin get off on some of those leg kicks again, those calf kicks, I mean, you know, that's going to be the end for him. So I expect his only adjustment to be more aggression than we're used to seeing from him from the onset. And I, I agree with Frank's comments on that. I agree with that adjustment, but I do think there's one more adjustment that he can make. And it's not really as much an adjustment as it is kind of going back to his roots. And, and that's changing his karate stance. You know, he was very heavy on his lead foot, more of a boxing stance. He said numerous times he was training pretty much for Manny Pacquiao leading up to the Dustin Poirier fight. So his camp was kind of mixed. And, and you saw he didn't have the same movement, the same, you know, in and out uh, footwork that he's had in most of his fights. So I, I think that's sort of a, a readjustment per se. It's not him doing something completely new. It's something he's always done. But for whatever reason, because of his training, because he was getting ready for Manny Pacquiao, he didn't do it in that fight. And that partially led to the leg kicks that really did him in. So I think, you know, with what Frank said, and then also kind of going back to his original kind of in and out uh, footwork karate stance, I, I think that's really the, the two adjustments that he can really make in this fight. Yeah, I mean, you both bring up great points. I'm... Um... I'm leaning ever so slightly to Dustin Poirier winning this one and beating Connor for the second straight time, but he's going to have to beat him a different way, I believe. And it's why I'm still picking Dustin. And I've, I've flip flop on this in my own mind a couple times in the last week, because I, I just took the time this morning to rewatch their second fight because I hadn't watched it since it happened live back in January. And so, you know, your, your memory gets a little bit fuzzy after six months. So I rewatched it this morning and I kind of came to the realization that, okay, I'm still going to pick Poirier because I believe he's such a good and well-trained fighter that he is going to have answers for the new questions that Connor is going to ask of him. But I don't believe Poirier can win this third fight the same way that he won the second fight because Conor McGregor, unless there is such gross negligence in his preparation, he is going to have to be ready for those calf kicks. And James, you were right to bring up that he was so vulnerable to that technique uh, because he was using a very wide boxing type of stance, right? That was what he was comfortable with. He felt like he threw more power for that. He had been training for uh, a big boxing match with Manny Pacquiao that never ended up actually happening. And I think it was pretty irresponsible for him to be training for a different fight during the, the camp for the fight that was right in front of him. But uh, I think after losing that second Poirier fight, he's going to be more prepared this time around. But I've got to think that McGregor is going to have a different stance for this fight. He's not going to be as vulnerable for the calf kicks. He might even check some of those calf kicks. Because the crazy thing about that second fight, the way he was getting chopped by that technique was, with some of the things McGregor said about that fight afterwards, he didn't really even seem to realize that calf kicks had become a thing in MMA. Because <laughs> like that's a relatively new technique, at least being used the way that it's being used over these last couple of years. And I, I think it's actually American top team fighters from that camp I don't know which specific coach or fighter in that gym was the one who had the bright idea of hey if we start kicking guys in the calf instead of in the quad we can hurt them a lot more but I think I think ATT was actually the gym that really started heavily utilizing that technique and Conor McGregor he is so unplugged 
from the world of MMA because he fights so seldomly. You know, he was off promoting his whiskey brand. He was off training for boxing matches. He's jet setting around the world. You know, he and his wife uh, keep having kids, which I'm sure keeps him very busy. So I just don't think he had been paying attention to what was happening in the octagon. And he didn't realize, okay, calf kicks are now something I seriously have to prepare for. So I'm going to think he's going to be more ready for that. Because honestly, guys, in rewatching that second fight today, uh, I give all the kudos in the world to Dustin Poirier because he had the better game plan. But if not for the success he had with those calf kicks, Connor probably wins that fight because he was the better striker in that fight. And Poirier, I think the adjustment that Poirier has to make in this third fight, obviously for McGregor, it's prepare for the calf kicks. Excuse me. The adjustment Poirier has to make is he's got to use the clinch game in his wrestling a lot more because he took down Connor about 30 seconds into the fight. McGregor was able to pop pop back up relatively quickly because it was early in the fight. He wasn't that tired. But then after that, McGregor was just standing in trade, or sorry, uh, Poirier was just standing and trading with him. Now he was able to have success with the calf kicks, but McGregor hurt him about three times with left hands. Like he was landing heavily with his punches. And if not for getting, you know, his legs debilitated by those calf kicks, McGregor might have found the knockout shot eventually. So Poirier, I think he can win this fight again, but he's got to win it a different way because crippling Connor with the calf kicks, I don't think Frank is going to work two times in a row. No, you're you're 100% right. I, I, my concern, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm leaning Poirier, and my concern is that, you know, when you win a fight, you feel like you don't have to make changes, but you make an outstanding point. And so did James about the fact that he was training for a boxing fight. Now he's coming in ready for MMA. He's going to be checking that kick. He's going to be ready for it. The clinch game, even if he can't take him down, just making Connor work and pressing that gas tank and eliminating his ability to strike him at range, that's the adjustment he has to make. As a winner, as a guy who knocked Connor out in his last fight, he's got to come in with an entirely different game plan. He has brilliant coaches over there. I hope he listened to them because a lot of times when you win a fight, you just feel like you can just cruise in and do the same thing. That's not the case. Could not agree more with that. Absolutely. All right. Let's bring in our first special guest of this show. Uh, This guy's going to help us make some money this weekend. Lee Sterling, ParamountSports.com. Oh, it's nice to see Lee's beautiful face because usually, you know, when I was doing shows like an onside radio and I would talk to Lee, it was just over the phone. You really do have a face for television, Mr. Sterling. How are you? (laughs) Good. Um, Yeah, I'm at the home office. uh, babysitting the dog as the wife's running some some errands. But um, I'm excited. Actually, you know, some handicappers will tell you, oh, I'm winning left and right. I had an amazing first, I think it's a little over 50 uh, fight cards since they came back. I've actually lost six of the last seven. I They send all the cards to Alex. So um, just one of those things where we misread some things and it happens. And um, I have a feeling I worked – Probably the hardest I've ever worked on a card uh, in this card. Probably spent over 20 hours getting ready this week wow. alone. So um, I think I might have found some things. There's still some tough fights, though, uh, to predict. Well, and Lee, I'm guessing um, since this is such a mega card, like when you get a Conor McGregor type of card, I'm sure that that leads to more traffic on your website and more media requests. So you, you probably, you probably feel that need. Now, I mean, losing six out of the last seven is one thing, but you also, you have so much more demand for a card like this. I'm sure that motivates you to work extra hard. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I do it with someone else. I have someone who, who works with me for the UFC. 
I had to catch up. I had just watched every card, but until the pandemic, I had never really studied it. And then we just got on an absolute roll. I think we won something like 18 of the first 20 cards. And yeah. the one thing I do like, and I'm I'm a little upset it's it's gonna go away, is I like the no audiences from the fact there was a bunch of guys that I watched that I didn't think were that great. And then you watch them with no audience and you're like, wow, they hit hard. So that aspect I like because um, as a handicapper and a better, I can study that and I think glean a little bit more from from watching the matches. You guys feel the same way? Yeah. What, what do you think, James? Yeah, I like the, the sound you can hear from the punches and, and the coaching and things like that during the fight. I, I think that, uh, you know, definitely helps. But but Lee, I, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, with, with trilogy fights, uh, MMA, boxing, and, and combat sports in general, uh, does the smart money favor the fighter that, that won the last fight or the fighter seeking revenge? It's 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 the one that won the last fight. That's what happens. Um, but then again, Connor is so much different than anyone else. Um, for instance, I know some people live in New York City. They said the bars, especially the Irish bars, they'll be in there at like 12 noon just to get seats. Wow. So um, the public is a different animal. You know, they, they bet who they know, just like anything else in the NFL and any other sport, you know, in baseball, they bet the Yankees, they bet the Dodgers, teams that they're familiar with, players they're familiar with, um, and they bet favorites. So uh, this, this, it's a pretty even fight. It's been going back and forth between 110 to 120 for each fighter. Um so you want to start from a prelim fight I, I like, or do you want to sure. start? Yeah, if, if you okay. got a prelim, yeah, you've got a prelim. Let's start there. Okay. Ilya Tolipur. So I think this guy is elite. Now he's fighting a guy in Ryan Hall who is so unorthodox, maybe the most unorthodox card you'll see on this card or any other card. He can catch anyone and the fight can be over. But I think... Ilya is something special. I think he's eventually going to fight for the title. And if he's smart enough and he stays away uh, from going to the ground, I think he's an elite striker. And um, take nothing away from Ryan Hall. He has two really nice wins against Elkins and BJ Penn. Um, I love his jujitsu, but um, I like El Matador here. I, I think I think they have some big plans for this guy. Nice. Well, I, you know, I, I wanted to to start with you on the main card uh, on the first fight, the curtain jerker, as they say on the pay per view, because Sean O'Malley against Chris Moutinho yeah. is very. It, it's interesting. I mean, O'Malley is a heavy, heavy favorite. Yeah. Moutinho, I don't know a whole lot about, and he's a late replacement because Luis Smolka was supposed to be on this card. He suffered from a staph infection, and so, like, you know, kudos to O'Malley for taking a lesser known short notice opponent but there's a lot of risk in that i mean uh you know i think the, the last i checked on that fight he was like a minus 580 favorite which is pretty gigantic but it's obviously oh, no, it's a risk. bigger than that it's even bigger than that oh it's up to like 758 wow so wow um <laughs> you know, it's tough to bet a fight like that yeah uh, you watch some of the some of the video and i found some guys early on when when the ufc came back last june and july there were some guys that they threw in there that I found some things from the video, but you can't really glean much from his opponents. Um, I think O'Malley takes him out early. This is, uh, 
you know, whether it's strikes or submission, um, this is just an absolute mismatch here and just couldn't come up with a guy on that short of notice that, that would want to step into the ring with O'Malley. Now, I know uh, the fight that Frank Zaffrey is looking forward to most, of course, is uh, Irene Aldana against Yana Kunitskaya. Because we, 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 all, we, all, we always used to joke uh, way back in the day about Frank. He, he, when he had the lesser-known female fights, he would take his, uh, his drink break. Uh, but is there anything we even, like even, in this? Even when they're better known. you know. They're good. Well, <laughs> so, so, so the gentleman that works for me, he always goes with a sexier fighter. That's, that's, if he can't be, does that work for him? Well, he, he's single. He's single, so I have to tell him. I have to temp. I have to temper a lot of times. What, what? If it's a real tough fight and he really has no opinion, um, that hey, I know you want to date this girl or you think she's sexy, but this is probably the strongest lean that I have on the main card, and it will be one of my six uh, selections here. I think Aldana made her name by that one knockout victory. Not taking anything away from her. I think she's decent. But she really doesn't have knockout power. I mean, that knockout over Vieira, I think, made a name for her. She's not a grappler. Um, Only two takedowns in her career in the UFC. It kind of tells you something. After you've built up enough of a resume, I think there's a story to be told here. She um, gives out, I think it's five and a half strikes per minute, but absorbs over six strikes strikes per minute here. So I don't know if this is going to be, I doubt whether there's going to be a knockout. That's one of the problems, I think, when women fight is you don't see as many knockouts. Right. And I think that's one of the, you know, when you're watching Amanda Nunez and she takes care of someone real quick, you're like, wow. But Kuniskana, she, um, she also fought Vieira. And even though she didn't knock her out, she dominated the fight. And I think she's going to do it. Uh, she's going to take down Aldana a couple times. She just wins rounds. So I think she's going to win this here 30 to 27 or 29, 28. So I'll take the slight underdog. It's like plus 105 most places. You know, we get into the top uh, three fights on this pay-per-view card, which I, I really like these last three fights. Now, Heavyweight fight. I don't think this one's going to go more than a couple of minutes, but that doesn't mean we won't be thoroughly entertained. I mean, with Ty Tuivasa taking on, you know, former NFL disgrace, Greg Hardy. Now, Lee, Tuivasa is one of my favorites. I mean, I I dig his whole persona from drinking beer out of the shoe, uh, which I would never do myself, but I, I I get a kick out of watching him do it, to just, you know, his pressure style and, and his electric hands. And I don't know. I mean, listen, I think this is going to be a brawl. Um, I have a hard time seeing Greg Hardy winning this fight. I think it's going to be Tui Vasa getting his hand raised. Do you agree? So Hardy is not elite. I don't think he's ever going to be elite. His boxing isn't good enough. He does have, there's been a couple times where he's had a couple decent rounds, but no gas tank at all. He, um, if he ever is lucky enough to take someone down, um, doesn't know what to do. It just <laughs> it just shows you that that you can't just jump into this in a year or two and become elite. Um, Trivas is not going to win the title ever. It's not good enough, but he's got skills and he's got power. And um, 
I think he's going to soften them up with leg kicks. I think that's what he's going to do to Hardy here. And this might be similar to what Poirier did to to, to McGregor in, in the second fight. I think, you know, people think they're just going to get out there and brawl. That may not be the case. So mm. I think Tuivasa might play it smart. And you get a guy like that and he can't walk and he's back on his heels and might have to change to a southpaw stance, which we haven't seen. I think he's going to render him absolutely useless here. I like Tuivasa. I think he wins this fight easy. You know, uh, Frank, uh, when, when I saw you the other day, we were talking a little bit about this fight. And, you know, you, you and I are are pretty tight with uh, with a guy who's been coaching Hardy since he made the transition to MMA in Dean Thomas. And, you know, Dean obviously has worked with him. I think he's done wonders with him. But I, I do agree with Mr. Sterling that, you know, obviously there's a lot of athleticism there. I just don't see the polish for him to be an elite fighter. You know, I was just thinking of Dean myself. And one of the things he told us, Lee, was that, you know, when you spend that many years playing elite football, you know, it's explosion rest, mm-hmm. explosion rest, and transitioning to the kind of uh, cardiovascular grind that an MMA fight is, he hasn't made that transition. Oh. And to your point, he's not evolving really in any way. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a spectacular he also, knockout. He also may, may not – I don't think he's real bright either. Let's be, Let's call – an ace and ace. Was, I, I, I was being nice by saying he's not evolving. He's not evolving because he's not very bright. <laughs> well, I, I've been involved you know, playing football, high school, and the college level, and I've seen some guys that are yeah. unbelievable athletes. Yeah. They just can't figure it out. And, you know, give them credit. You know, most people cannot get to this level. But I think they've kind of handpicked a bunch of opponents for him. And except for maybe, I think, I don't know which fight it was in the first round. He looked really good for him. But after that, he had nothing left. So, uh, I think how two long, take him out. How long are they going to carry this guy, Lee, and, and, and handpick opponents? I mean, I don't think the juice is worth <laughs> the squeeze at this point, you know? It, it, in fact, remember Ed Tall Jones? Remember when he boxed? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ago. I mean, there were some guys that they, they marched out to fight oh. him that were an absolute joke. And, and right. you never heard of them. what you're going to see. You're going to look back. I look back a lot of times when I'm looking at cards and fighters, there's some cards that if you go back four or five years ago and look back at some of these guys that fought, fought on this card here Saturday night, they were like in the early prelims against other really good fighters. You're right. going to look back and see some of the fighters that Hardy fought and you won't even be able to remember I mean, I, I would argue, though, that the handpicking is over because when you've got a guy like Tuivasa, I consider yeah. him to be a pretty serious opponent, and he's probably going to get uh, – Hardy's probably going to get his ass kicked. So I, I think the handpicking is done. And I don't think anyone will complain either. He's, he's not one of the most <laughs> likable guys. Right. Hey, hey Lee, Lee, I wanted to ask you about the co-main yeah. event. Uh, I was surprised when I saw the line on this fight a, a couple weeks ago. Gilberto Burns has been on an absolute tear until yeah. losing to Kamaru Usman, yet he was a slight underdog coming in, at least last week or so, uh, against Wonderboy. Now, Wonderboy's 2-2 two and two in his last four. Um, he hasn't. He's fought, I think, once in the last 18 months. Why is he the favorite in this fight? So he's smart, number one. He, some people say he's unexciting. The thing that scares you is when he got knocked out, he got absolutely, I mean, he didn't know where he was for about four or five minutes in his last loss. Since that time, I like to watch fighters after that. And if I would have seen some remnants of that, 
then I, I, I'd be scared. Now, I'm not saying it's a – if on a normal card, I might overlook this. This might be a small play for me, but um, he's smart. He uses a karate stance. He can fight orthodox and also southpaw. And it's all about winning. And I think Burns is more – well, let's say more explosive. Yes. He can, yeah, if, if there's going to be a knockout, probably eight or not eight out of ten times, it's going to be him. But sometimes when a guy has built his whole career up to winning a title, after they lose, and I know he fought a grappling bout after that, after you lose that, it's just tough to get back up and get on that bike and and climb that mountain to fight eventually to get a, another title shot and. I think Burns is, is more talented, but maybe sometimes it's a matter of matchups and the reach advantage for Thompson. The um, I just think just maybe the ring generalship. Um, there, there might it, we might only see you know maybe twenty twenty five punches per per or twenty five strikes per fighter here per round. Um, because I don't think Thompson uh, wants to just mix it up with, with Gilbert Burns. If he does, he's going to get knocked out. I mean, we saw what kind of power that Gilbert Burns had. We almost knocked out Usman. He came that close. And that's why I think a lot of people will bet Burns. But I have to give a small edge, believe it or not, to Wonderboy. You guys feel the same way? Or no? I, I do feel the same way, but this is one of those fights that, uh, I don't know, unless I, unless I really get some inspiration in the next 48 hours, I might pass on this one. This could be the type of fight, Lee, where if I'm – if I'm down on the card to that point and I want to chase a little bit, that I might say, you know what, what the hell? I'm gonna well, I'm gonna dive I, I in head first. So you guys have to understand Alex needs action. I do. <laughs> and, and if he's up, so there's a, that means there's about a nine out of ten ch- shot that he's gonna bet this fight here. For sure. Well, no, uh, you're Lee, right. Winning, you're right. Lee, what, what Alex what Alex needs are parlays. So right, a parlay yeah, is yeah, yeah. 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 I get I I probably have paid I probably play two or three parlays a year and that's in every sport. Now I do play some teasers in the NFL. I think there's yeah. a way to play some teasers, getting over the four key numbers, three, four, six, and seven. But um I don't play like I said two or three parlays a year, and he loves that action. And if he's up, he's gonna press and he's gonna try to win big. If he loses if he's losing, he's going to try to get back. Some I've gotten to the point, Lee, where I've got to have action in like every day part, right? Because somewhere in the world, like there, there's there, there's a soccer game happening, you know, in Sweden, you know, at any point in time. And oh, you know, late night, there's a soccer game happening somewhere in South America. And there's a cricket game happening in India in the middle. of Like I, I need to have every couple of hours. I need some action. Okay. So one of the guys that works at my office on the weekends is an attorney. He answers the phones. He comes because he had three girls. Now all his girls are in college and moved away. But he comes and will work in my office and then come to my house and watch games or fights at night. And his bookie once told him, he said, and he would, my friend will bet 25 to 35 college games on a Saturday. Wow. wow. And he said to him, his bookie said to him one time, and he bet, but he's wealthy and he only bets 50 to 100 a game. Right. But he said, and, and this is interesting, and this is why he does it. He says, where can you go and you can bet $50 on one side and win it, $50 on another game and lose, and for all that action for six, seven hours, 
play for five bucks. Makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That, that, that's a great point. So I want to get uh, want to get into the main event, of course. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit on the trilogy fight. You might look a little bit more to the guy who won the second fight, and especially there's not been a whole lot of time elapsed here, so it's not like either of these guys are a different, uh, a, a big, big difference in their fighting styles because they haven't fought anybody in between. It's only been six months, so I'm looking. Uh, the odds I'm looking at right now, Lee, have Dustin Poirier, very slight favorite at minus one twenty, Conor McGregor at even money. Now, like you mentioned. Uh, that might be a little bit deceiving because I'm sure there's a lot more money coming in on Connor because he's the much more famous guy. So how do you see this fight playing out? So one of the things I've done pretty well is I've been able to figure out Connor. And I've gone against him the last couple of fights and don't particularly like his whole, you know, act. Um, he's calmed down a little bit. What's interesting, if you watch the last fight and – I think it was with two minutes and 47 seconds to go in the second round. Watch it again. The, the, all three announcers missed it. He got hit. And for, even though he put his hands up, he was done at that point. And then they talked about how Dustin hit him with a right. Most people, even going back over it, don't realize. Go back over it and watch it. He was done at that point. He obviously needs to change his stance. He needs to have... He was fighting too. He was fighting too much forward, and he's got to be more balanced here. He also the angles that his front foot foot he presented to Poirier, I think, were wrong. Also, I think he's got to angle his foot a little bit at times. And he was even shocked that he was getting uh, kicked, and 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 it, it had he had that much of a problem with it. I I think both fighters are going to change their their whole game plan for this fight. But I think, uh, believe it or not, and and people who know me are shocked. I think Connor's going to find a way to win this fight. Wow! Yeah, I think he's going to find a way. I, I I don't think he's elite anymore. I think the shine is off of him, and I think Dustin overall is a better fighter. And I love Dustin in the last fight. I just think that it's sometimes that motivation. Um, Moreno, the, the 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 champion from Mexico. Did, I don't know if you heard him, and, and Connor's not going to train like he did. He trained for six months, didn't take a day off. Wow. I think Connor's going to be motivated, and I think his staff is going to – they're going to find something, and sometimes that motivation is enough, and his power is elite. I mean, his left is elite. Lee, so. Lee am I wrong, though? If you pretend like you don't know their personalities, you yeah. don't know their history, you just have records. Yeah. You got, you got a 500-fighter since 2016 – with right. huge periods of inactivity, <laughs> and you've got a guy who's won seven or six of his last seven fights and was the interim lightweight champion. You know, I mean, when you look at it that way, do, do I affect your decision-making in any way? At first, I love Dustin. I'm like, I'm yeah. going to go with Dustin. I watch both fights. I have a feeling that, that Connor's trained a little harder than in the past. Probably trained. I don't even trained last time. So. Well, well no, last time, like, like inexplicably, Lee, last time he it sounded like he was training for a boxing match with Manny Pacquiao that was going to potentially happen after the Poirier right. fight. But it's like, wait, don't you do one training camp at a time? Like, why are you doing a training camp for a fight that may not happen? Well, you got a fight that is happening. Like, I didn't understand that. Listen to his interview after he lost. You know, he has this shtick, and I think he after he got knocked out. 
uh, and he was interviewed. If you listen to him, he sounds almost like a 15, he sounded like a 15 year old kid. Um, and I think he's really humbled. Um, you know, obviously such a, he really, you know, thinks a lot of himself. He's got some, his, his 30 to 60 minute tirades that he used to go on in these press conferences, they were better than most of the fights. So I don't know what he's going to do after this. And it's not a huge selection. It'll be a small selection for me, but I have a feeling he's going to find a way uh, to win this fight. So, Lee, Lee I, I assume you're predicting a finish uh, instead of a Connor win yeah. by decision. Um, what, what are the odds on the finish? I, I think that you can get it like something like plus 140, um, something like that, plus 140, 150. I, I don't, I don't know if it's going to. I think it'll be if it's going to, if it's going to take place, it's gonna, probably going to be in the third round, something like that. So, hmm. and you bring up a good point. He, I think he was preparing the last fight for a boxing match until the last couple of weeks. So um, he, if he if he wants to to keep selling products like he's done, and that's pretty much what he's he's about now, uh, you know, with his whiskey and all these other things he's promoting, I think he's got to win the fight. After if he loses this fight, all that's left is is Diaz. That's it. No one well, else. That, Which I'm rooting where, for that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I want to see that one again. I, I want to run that back. But I mean, that's <laughs> why I, I question his motivation a little bit. I mean, Connor, if if nothing else, he is the epitome of what money can befall an MMA fighter if they follow the right channels, right? And win or lose, he's got the trilogy with Nate Diaz, which will sell and he will get paid every bit as much as he's getting paid this Saturday, win or lose. Right. So, you know, I'm not sure where that motivation is. I, I think he wants to fight for the title again. I think that's what his motivation is. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure he's going to do it. Like I said, these, these, the top two fights, I probably, if there was another card, I mean, they might even make, you know, the selections I give to my clients or bet myself. So, you know, just the way I see it, sometimes you have to kind of read between the lines. Um, so just I'm playing. I, I never say this often, but I'm playing a hunch here that mm-hmm. Connor somehow finds a way to win. I, I can understand it. I mean, I'm still leaning to Dustin, but after after rewatching their second fight this week, um, I still like like Lee. I, I don't think that uh, I don't think Dustin can win the fight the same way because I, I don't think he even wins that second fight if not for the debilitating calf kicks. So if I'm to assume McGregor is going to be more prepared for those calf kicks, I think this time Dustin is going to have to be really sharp with his clinch game and his wrestling to wear him down because I don't think Dustin's going to be able to beat him in the striking because with the hands, McGregor was getting the better with him. It was the calf kicks that were the difference in that fight. Should be fun. So I've enjoyed talking to you guys. Awesome. uh, Thank you very uh, much. When we do it again, hopefully – I ended up in the plus here and and break an all-time losing streak. I don't think I've ever lost six out of seven weeks in any sport at any time. This is my 28th year, so I'm determined to end it here. Well, I know the slump buster is coming. So huge shout out and thanks to Lee Sterling. His website is ParamountSports.com. He doesn't pay us to come on. We don't pay him to come on. We love his insights. So make sure you check him out. And Lee, uh, let people know how they can sign up on your site, man, because I want to make sure we get you some business this week. Just check it out right now. We've got the fights um, up seven selections, uh, $47. If I don't win, you get the next three selections for free. Nice. Um, I'm pretty positive I'm going to come through here and I do – Hockey, which ended actually um, 
think that one site there was a little over 900 guys. We ended up number one in the country in hockey. Wow. Uh, baseball started slow, but coming on the last month, hitting over 62% in baseball. And that's playing only an average of a minus 112 favorite. Um, basketball was a good season. And football, uh, I don't think there's anyone that touched my numbers. You can go to covers.com. And about 30-something guys, we were number one in the country. So uh, already studying two to three teams every day. Did Nebraska and Illinois did that game today, getting ready, started watching the spring game. So uh, not many people work harder than I do, and hopefully the results uh, come through. So thanks again, well, good, Paramount Good Sports. stuff, Lee. Yeah, ParamountSports.com. Enjoy your night, Lee. Awesome okay. stuff there. So I, I, like, uh, see, I, I like this question, guys, that came in from Sean Quinn. Does Connor retire if he loses the trilogy to Poirier? With all the money he's made, what is there left to prove in the UFC? Yeah, I mean, he certainly has retirement wealth, you know, when you compare him to uh, to most people on planet Earth. Um, so, I mean, J James, what do you think? Is personally, I don't think he retires after this one, win or lose. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he has, if he loses this fight, I think he has at least one more fight. Uh, against Nate Diaz. I mean, he's already promised him multiple times that he would run it back. He feels he owes Nate Diaz. I mean, Nate Diaz gave him a rematch uh, around this, you know, same time span within about five or six months uh, after the initial loss um, to Nate. So I, I, I think he does feel like he owes him um, another fight. And then maybe after that, he walks away if he loses this fight. But I, I think that kind of adds to this matchup. That's why this matchup means so much because there's so much on the line for Connor. It's, it's, Lose and you're one step closer to retirement or win and you get a title shot at 155. I mean, that's that's such a large gap that that can result in the one fight. that I, I think that makes it, uh, you know, extremely exciting and, and, you know, just terrific prospects for Connor or or tragic prospects for Connor if he loses. Yeah, and Frank, I want to get your take as well. But mine is like um, I definitely like James said, if he loses, I think doing the Diaz trilogy fight is just too easy. And there's so much money to be made for both guys. It just makes way too much sense. And then if he were to lose that fight, and obviously that that's a winnable fight for Connor. He's beaten Diaz before. Diaz could beat him. Connor could win. He, either guy could come out on top. Like, I think it could be years before Connor truly walks away. Like, for Connor, I think walking away from combat sports would be the same way Floyd Mayweather walked away, where he's going to turn up every couple of years. Because, guys, like, combat sports has changed so much. Where, yeah, obviously you've got a reputable organization like the UFC that puts on serious fights, but there's money to be made, you know, for fighting for an organization like Triller. Like, he, he could end up fighting one of those Paul brothers, and both of them have called him out. Like, Conor McGregor could, could you know, he could lose his next two MMA fights, and then he could still make $50 million fighting Jake Paul in a couple of years. So I don't know if we'll see him truly walk away till he's in his 40s, if I'm being honest here. What do you think, Frank? Well, you know, in our previous show iteration a few years ago now, I predicted a a really dramatic slide for Connor post uh, Floyd Mayweather. And it's happening with the exception of the Cerrone fight. I never expected the tin can fight because with all due respect to the Cowboy, he mailed that one in. I mean, nobody goes down from shoulder strikes. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, uh, I think he loses. I think he loses to not even me. Right. I think he loses to Nate Diaz uh, or I think he rematches Nate Diaz. I think he loses to Nate Diaz. And then I think he chases the title and he goes back to the division where, quite frankly, he had the advantage. I mean, I think he goes back to featherweight where he was extraordinarily strong and long and big for the division. 
And I think he chases gold there because I think he would like to step away with gold. And I think that's his best opportunity to do it. When I look, when I think about Connor's career, you know, his manifest destiny, his, you know, beyond, uh, you know, ambition, uh, you know, and narcissism that I can go into all these upper weight classes. The thing we're seeing at 155 is the fighters are too big. You know, people talked about him getting cracked by Connor. He ate those punches. He was fine. You know, Dustin's a bigger guy, you know, especially now at 155. I mean, he's a 180 pound guy. I don't know how he ever fought. He fought at 145 and I don't know how he ever did that. Yeah. Size is a real thing, guys. I mean, you know, so at 180 pounds cutting down, he puts the weight back on. He's a big man. You know, Connor's 165 soaking wet. So, I mean, you know, it's, it changes things. His power is not his power at 155. So he's going to have to go back to 145. I predict that's what he'll do, chasing gold before he exits stage left and does what you said, Alex, and plays the Floyd Mayweather game for the next 10 years. Now, according to Dana White, uh, this card, which is still two days away, and I, I saw two different interviews with Dana over the last couple of days, one of those being with our pal Kevin Ioli from Yahoo Sports. And every time I see Dana White talking about this card, of course, he's a great salesman. So you have to understand everything he says piping up a card. There's an agenda. He's trying to hype people up, right? You don't always take everything he says at face value. But he did say that uh, they have already sold more pre-buys, right? I don't know who these people are that have to buy the the fight like three, four days in advance. Like, dude, I buy it like five minutes before it starts. Uh, but, but he well, says uh, they're getting more pre-buys than ever. Gotta those, make are bar- those are bars, right? Those have oh, to be that could be. That could you be because they, they have to have that prepared, yeah. We we pre-bought it today, so you know oh, you gotta okay. get those checks in. So, so there you yeah. go. You're part you're part of that record pre-buy. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what the pre-buys are. Okay. Yeah, so so anyway, so yeah, it's sorry to cut you off, James, but according okay. to to Dana White's little barometer, he he basically says that this is tracking to be a record-setting pay-per-view. That he thinks this is going to shatter the all-time UFC record. Conor McGregor has said the same thing. Uh, now, the all-time record for reference, I'm, I'm sure all three of us and probably everybody watching and listening to, listening to this watch that fight because it was gigantic, was uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Conor McGregor about three years ago in Las Vegas. That set the all-time UFC record for 2.4 million pay-per-view buys. And actually, all three of the top three selling fights ever have all involved Conor McGregor. So obviously, he's got a penchant for setting records. But do you think this fight, James, is the big one that's going to break that Khabib record. I think it'll get close, but I, I think there's a couple mitigating factors against it happening. Uh, for starters, Khabib is a bigger star than Poirier is. That's one thing. Khabib was bringing his audience too. Um, and it wasn't just Connor coming into that fight. It, it was both stars coming together. Stars were aligning and both were bringing their audience. And that, that hit 2.4 million buys. Uh, the, the, the second thing is, I, I don't think Connor is as big a star in MMA today than he was going into the Khabib fight. Now, he has more money. I think more people know him. But in terms of people wanting to see him fight, I think more people wanted to see him fight four years ago, coming off the Floyd Mayweather, you know, boxing match, coming off the perform- performance he had at MSG, um, you know, when he had his hands behind his back and, and became double champ and, and knocked out Eddie Alvarez. I think there's more of a clamoring to see him fight then. Uh, versus coming off a knockout loss. So it's going to get close. It could hit 2 million. 
I don't think it'll hit 2.5 million. And, and on top of that, let's let's consider the prices just went up in January. Ooh, to, that's right. To, that's to, a, that's to, why to I'm seven. a little more broke than I was before January. Yeah, they're 70 bucks now, uh, as opposed to what was it, 59.99 at the time, or 60 bucks uh, before. So maybe that plays a little factor into it as well. So I think there's a couple things working against it um, to where it'll get close, but probably won't break the record. What do you think, Frank? James, not just you bring up a great point about the price, but it's not just the price. It's you gotta you gotta jump through hoops now. You've got to be a subscriber of ESPN right. Plus, and then you've got to do the, you know. So there's there's an added barrier there that I don't think existed on the Khabib fight. Certainly existed in the first Poirier fight, but I, I would agree with uh, both of you that Poirier just not the celebrity. I love Dustin Poirier, but he is just not the celebrity. I think what drove the first fight was not Dustin Poirier. It was just the fact that Connor was back and fighting someone legitimate. Yeah. But now that he's lost to him, I think the luster is off of this. And I think this is going to give us a great indication that some of the shine is off of the Conor McGregor star. Um, you know, it will be resurrected when he fights Nate Diaz, because I think we all agree that's a certainty. Because that, I mean, then you have two, you know, stars colliding. But Dustin Poirier, just, just not the kind of name especially having already beaten Conor McGregor that's going to bring those kind of pay-per-view buys. Like to me, Khabib had legitimate mystique because that was an undefeated fighter. Like that that just made it that much more special. And I know that sometimes I talk out of both sides of my mouth because yeah, I have said it before that when it comes to mixed martial arts, being undefeated doesn't matter as much, right? Whereas in in boxing, if you don't start your career, you know, 15 and 0, like what are you even doing, right? Whereas in in MMA, there's a little bit you know the the matchmaking is a little bit more uh, a little bit more uh, well rounded, and sometimes you're going to lose fights here in your earlier career. I mean, BJ Penn, one of the greatest of all time, had a barely over 500 record. Randy Couture, same thing, and we hold these guys up as some of the all time greats. But then when you get the rarity of an undefeated fighter like Khabib, I think that adds something extra. He's got that mystique. You know, one of my favorites of all time. Fedor had mystique because he went about 11 years without losing. And that was even going through the buzzsaw of the pride heavyweight division, which was really awesome, you know, between around 2003 and 2007. It was a lot better than the UFC's heavyweight division. So uh, Khabib brought that extra mystique to the equation. Like an argument I've heard from some people in the favor of this breaking the record, which I don't think it will do. I think it's going to be a big seller because every McGregor fight is a blockbuster. So this is going to make Dana White a ton of money. But one of the arguments I've heard for people thinking it is going to break the record is, well, you get that extra bump from it being a trilogy fight, that the trilogy fight, the rubber match does something extra. I mean, listen, I don't know, man. Back to the Future Part 2 had a better box office than Back to the Future Part 3. The Empire Strikes Back had a better box office than Return of the Jedi. The Godfather third Three. Yeah. Godfather. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I saw so, Al Pacino live. He wouldn't even talk about it. You know, he would only really? talk about the first. Yeah, he said, I don't want to talk about that. That was a horrible idea. <laughs> like you met him in person? You asked him about that? No, I went to his show. He did like oh. a stand-up. Didn't you guys hear about that a few years ago? No. He did a stand-up routine and you know, I, I don't want to hijack the show, but you know what happened. He explained it. Robert Duvall backed out of Godfather Part Three. They had to rewrite the script. They had the whole Andy Garcia goofy thing as a cousin, and oh, man, the rest is the rest is is infamous. <laughs> oh yeah. man! So yeah, I, I want to say a couple more words on uh, on McGregor versus Poirier. Then I want to move on to the rest of the card. 
I, I certainly think uh, Connor is going to be more prepared for this fight. Uh, the reality check of losing the second one, I think, motivated him. I mean, you saw he did he did much better in the second fight with Nate Diaz than he did in the first fight with Diaz, and that was a similar circumstance with a short turnaround. Uh, McGregor did. I'll, I did see him in a couple of really high profile interviews this week, so he didn't completely shun the media. He had a big interview with Stephen A. Smith that I want to talk about. Uh, he did an interview with Ariel Helwani as well, but he wasn't doing as much media. He wasn't doing as many pressers as he usually does, and he said that was calculated because he wanted to focus more on his training. Usually whenever McGregor fights, he flies his uh, his girlfriend and his kids out to fight. This time he left them behind. He didn't want to have the distractions. So, Frank, it kind of reminds me of the first half of Rocky Three versus the second half of Rocky three, right? Where McGregor, I think he's trying to find his eye of the tiger now. Yeah, yeah maybe he is, you know, but I, everything about Conor McGregor is showmanship. You know, he's <laughs> trying to make money. He's trying to sell uh, pay-per-views. Uh, and so, you know, creating this allure that, you know, this is serious, you know, I think it's all staged. I really do. I just have a hard time taking anything that he does seriously uh in terms of you know it really meaning something relative to his training although i will give i will give credit to the fact that and james brought it up earlier in the show i mean he was a hundred percent training he had a hundred percent been training for boxing and it just was ill prepared for what he was going to face i'm sure he's corrected that but i guarantee you his cardio is not any better i guarantee yeah. it yeah. And if Poirier can press him and grind on him and yank him around and take him down, you're going to see a panting, wheezing Conor McGregor by round three. You know, and, and Conor didn't, like you mentioned, Alex, he didn't say, he didn't do a lot of media, but there's a couple of things that he said that, that kind of concerns me. I, I was actually leaning Conor coming into this week. And then once I heard some media comments from him uh, on social media and in some interviews, now I'm leaning towards Poirier. And here, here's a couple of things mm. he said. Uh, on social media, he said the first person that goes for a takedown is a dusty, you know, blank. I don't know if you guys remember that, but basically he's he's trying to bait Dustin into standing up only. Yeah. And Dustin had a pretty good response by saying, you know, look, this is mixed martial arts. You know, how about the first person that gets taken down, you know, gets ridiculed. This is, you know, put it all together. You know, I, that that's concerning to me because as Dustin had mentioned in his response, that does reeks of a little bit of insecurity. You know, he got taken down the first fight, and yes, he got back up, uh, but it did zap some of his energy, and that's that's probably the type of fight that Connor doesn't want. So he's already trying to bait Dustin into fighting his fight, which is a complete stand-up. And then the second thing that he's uh, that he said this week um, in, in one of his interviews is that he's going he's going to go bombs away. He's going to be head hunting. He, he's throwing only kill shots. Now, to me, in the biggest fight of your career. In a five-round fight, if you're only going to throw kill shots, that tells me you're going to be tired by the end of the second round, yeah, and especially yes, for, Con yes. for, Con for Conor McGregor. So if he's going in with that strategy, hopefully he's baiting Dustin and pretending. Uh, but if that's going to be his strategy, that he's not thinking about either stuffing the takedown, doesn't want to any do anything with wrestling, and then also going for kill shots only, uh, th that's not a good strategy. I, I really hope that that's not his strategy. Um, and he also said some stuff about the knockouts. You know, he feels like he's 19 and one. He's only going for knockouts, Tap, taps, decisions, all that stuff <laughs> doesn't count on his record. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. It's mixed martial arts, uh, mixed martial arts. And he's also, in a way, kind of disparaging, you know, jujitsu guys, uh, you know, submission guys. Are, are None of those wins for any of the submission guys counts. The Khabib win doesn't count. Um, you know, is he going to, you know, his guy, Dylan Dennis, is, is, you know, one of his good buddies. 
who was a jujitsu guy, you know, is he a nobody because he only wins by submissions? That's his game. Uh, so it's kind of a weird thing to say. So, uh, you know, no respect for jujitsu in his comments. You know, he's going to go bombs away, which is an awful strategy. And then also, you know, uh, trying to bait Dustin not doing a takedown. If I'm Dustin, I just frustrate him. I go for takedowns like crazy, you know, because obviously he doesn't want to do it. Do jujitsu when he's on the ground, just completely change up the game plan and frustrate the heck out of Connor. Yeah, uh, if, 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 if I'm du- if I'm Dustin Frank, I you have to you have to get yourself mentally ready, and it's going to be a full crowd. But he has to get himself mentally ready to be booed because if he starts grinding and wrestling, then yeah. he he can't take it personally if the crowd is going to wish, oh, why are these guys not standing and throwing bombs? Oh, we have the quote up here. Kudos yeah. to Manny who's doing an awesome job producing for putting this up here. My record in mixed martial arts competition is 19 wins and one loss, said Connor. I only count knockouts. Dustin's record is 13 wins, two losses. The only thing that's final in this business is a knockout. All that other bleep, the decisions, the taps. I mean, come on. That bleep means nothing to me. I am coming to take a man's head off. So, yeah, he wants us to forget that time against Nate Diaz where he quit, where he was looking for any excuse to tap out. He wants us to forget about that one, Frank. Well, well talking about taking a man's head off, if if left unattended by a referee, both Nate Diaz and Khabib would have left with his head. I mean, they were both uh, working his head off his body at that point. You know, Connor, I want to talk about what James was saying because, you know, in Connor's comments, it's really insightful because, you know, Connor used to win – by telling you what he was going to do to you and making you angry, breaking you before the fight happened. It's what happened to Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo was so mad that he just came out and swung for for the fences and got caught. And that was really his game. He beat you a la Mike Tyson before you ever got in there. That shines off. So now, as you pointed out, you know, now he's got to say other things. You know, now he's going to say, uh, what's the expression? I'm trying. I'm I'm old. So dusty. If you try to take me down, you know, or dusty, uh, you know, dusty B. Yeah, I won't say yeah, yeah, <laughs> dusty whatever. But yeah, or you know, or, or you know, I'm gonna be head hunting. You know, whatever. I think now he's just got to try to throw misdirection, which is so obvious to Dustin. And Dustin's such a mature fighter. He's been through it. He's not rattled by any of this stuff. He's gonna go do what he's gonna do. If they boo him, fine. He's leaving with money and a victory, and that's all he cares about. So the co-main event to me, guys, is pretty fascinating. Gilbert Burns, who recently fought for the title and actually hurt Kamaru Usman before Usman came back and finished him in highlight reel fashion. But Burns, really explosive, heavy-handed, dangerous fighter. And he's going up against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And like you, James, when I was looking at the betting odds, and I, and I pulled him up again, and yeah, Wonderboy still is a slight favorite in this fight actually a bigger favorite than than he was the other day he's minus 170 now is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson the thinking there is if Wonderboy can turn this into a chess match that he can outpoint Burns with his reach and with his difficult to solve stance because Wonderboy and he uses more of that it's kind of like watching Lyoto Machida you know 10 years ago where he uses more of that sideways karate style stance uses a lot more distance doesn't really keep you within punching range and he is the longer fighter here than Gilbert Burns so if Wonder Boy can stick to his game plan you know for the duration of this five round fight then yeah he could probably frustrate and outpoint Gilbert Burns whereas for Burns by all means he has got to get inside and land his pocket so I think we're going to know pretty early in this fight within the first two rounds if Burns isn't having success 
darting inside the pocket and touching Wonder Boy's chin because he's got that fight ending power burns. But if early on he's not able to get inside Wonder Boy's reach and Wonder Boy's stance, I think it's going to be a really long, frustrating night for him. And I think eventually he's going to tire out and get frustrated. So Wonder Boy has to execute his game plan to a T. Now, if either guy is going to stop this fight, like Lee Sterling said, it's more likely to be Gilbert Burns. I think if Wonder Boy is going to win this fight, probably it's going to be by decision. I see this fight clearly. Uh, maybe it's just me. I feel like I'm in the minority. I'm shocked that Gilbert Burns is the underdog here. This is actually my pick of the card. I, I like Burns plus money. Uh, you know, in, in this fight, I, I just don't. In a three round fight, I feel like this favors Burns, where he can go pedal to the metal, doesn't have to worry about rounds four, doesn't have to worry about rounds five. And the way Kamaru Usman has performed uh, after the Burns fight, leading up to the Burns fight. Um, to me, that makes Burns even that more formidable to me. When you see Kamaru Usman pretty much starching everybody in his division, except Gilbert Burns, that was his toughest fight. Well, I guess you could say Kobe Covington was his toughest fight, but at least in the past year, um, you know, Burns was, was his toughest fight. Uh, to me, that, that, that legitimizes Burns even more. I think he has more paths to winning. He could win on the ground. He could win with his power, where I think Wonderboy can pretty much just has to win a point battle. Um, you know, for three rounds. So I, I see this clear. Uh, I, I, I got Gilbert Burns winning this one um, in a points battle. I'm, I'm sorry, not in a points battle, but, um, you know, I got Gilbert Burns winning with his power or with his jujitsu. I just think he has more paths to winning in this one. Uh, look, uh, I'm going to upset every Gilbert Burns fan out there, but, but with the comparison I'm about to make. Uh-oh. But my, my, my prediction is something a little like what we saw years ago when Wonder Boy absolutely decimated Johnny Hendricks. I mean, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a stocky, powerful, charge ahead guy who is, you know, at such a length reach disadvantage. Uh, if, if, if Wonder Boy can, can resurrect the kind of dynamicism of, of strikes and, and manipulation of distance that he was doing so well before, I think he can control this fight and control Gilbert wow. with ease. Um, right. uh, you know, but but Gilbert, to your point, James, he's going to have to just run through it. And in yeah. only three rounds, you're right. He's going to have the gas to just run through stuff and, and see if he can get his hands on him. But, I mean, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, let's not forget – you know, lately, you know, whatever has happened, you know, with stuff that's happened with his record more, you know, more recently. I mean, this guy is maybe one of the top three most dynamic strikers I've ever seen. He's capable of doing everything. And his athleticism is off the charts, just yeah. off the charts. And he is way longer and taller than uh, Gilbert Burns. So, I mean, if I may interject, are we that far removed from the Anthony Pettis loss? I mean, it, it wasn't like this was like five or six fights True. ago. I mean, it, I mean, and look where Anthony no, Pettis is now, yeah. you know, struggling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Wonder Boy's 30, 36, 37. I mean, he's pretty high up there. I, I think his window was when he fought Tyron Woodley in those two championship fights and could have won either one of them. Um, James, I, I, James oh, as we work, as we work together, you're going to find out I'm an older guy apologist. Okay. So the older you <laughs> yeah, 38 get, year old, of course. Yeah. yeah come on. 38. <laughs> Wish I was 38. So, you know, I, I mean, he's just wiser. You know, so uh, hopefully he's able to handle it. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll have the show next week. Uh, I could be wrong, yeah. but I, I just see this one clear. I, I just don't see the Wonder Boy hype at this at this stage. 
Now, we're, we're expecting uh, in the next couple of minutes, Gabriel Barletta from Combate Global. But before he hops in, guys, uh, I also want to talk a little bit about the Tuiasa, Tuivasa, sorry, Greg Hardy fight. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this with Lee Sterling. I'm expecting Tuivasa to win this fight. Um, I, I think he can win a brawl. I mean, Sterling thought, you know, maybe Tuivasa would turn this more into a technical clinic. And I think he's got the skills for that. I just don't really think he has the DNA for that. I think Tuivasa is a little bit of a brawler. I mean, he can certainly soften up Hardy with calf kicks and leg kicks. And I would advise that strategy because if you can take mobility away from that monster, that's only going to help you, right? And Tuivasa to me, He's also incredibly durable in winning firefights because Greg Hardy, a little bit very athletic, but a little bit wild, like he's going to favor power over technique. And if they get into any wild exchanges, Tuivasa can either dodge his punch and land an immediate counter, or he could even walk right through a punch and just, uh, you know, put one of those cinder block fists of his right onto your chin. So I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think this fight is going to go more than two full rounds. I, I see a finish happening in the first or second round and I see Tuivasa getting his hand raised and hopefully this time around because they're fighting in Las Vegas because the last two times that Tuivasa fought and won, they were on fight Island in Abu Dhabi in United Arab Emirates. I'm pretty sure that's a dry country, and that's why he couldn't do the shoey because he was looking for somebody get me a beer. Somebody somebody gave him a shoe, but then he was looking for a beer, and there were no beers in the arena there on Fight Island because I don't think there's any beer in that entire goddamn country. So he could not do the shoey. So in Las Vegas, I need to see Tui Basa get his hand raised and drink some beer out of a stranger's shoe. That will let me know the pandemic is officially over, by the way. When I see a grown man drinking beer out of the shoe of some stranger, I will know COVID is over. Uh, yeah, you know, I have, uh, I'm going to, now I'm just trying to upset people. Now I'm going to upset our friend Dean Thomas. I have oh. zero respect for the Greg Hardy game. I mean, it's not evolving. He's not learning anything. He has a marauding style where he's just kind of like runs at you. Um, he doesn't protect his chin at all. And therein lies the problem for him Saturday night. Because if, you know, if, you know, it, it, you've got two brawlers, one of whom knows how to strike. The other is a guy who's just kind of running at you, helter-skelter. He's going to, I mean, it is going to be, uh, this knockout could be for the ages. If you're going to watch a fight Saturday night, watch this fight. It's going to end in the first round about two minutes in, and Greg Hardy, they're going to be sewing his head back on. I mean, that's how bad this knockout's <laughs> going to be. Wow, I, I agree with the style matchup. I do think this is a tough matchup for Hardy. And, and just quick note, I actually covered Hardy's first amateur fight. It was in Fort Pierce years ago. It was a big story at the time because he was suspended by the NFL, so ESPN wanted me to go up there and cover him um, in, in the fight. And I, I remember, you know, interviewing him and everything. And he, he said at the time, you know, look, I'm – I'm here to stay uh, in MMA. So credit to him for sticking through it this long, uh, making it to the UFC, which was his goal and everything. But but as both of you have mentioned, he's he still looks like this raw piece of clay. If someone was to ask me right now, is he a striker? I guess so. You know, kind of. He's definitely not a wrestler. You know, yeah. what what exactly is he at this stage of his MMA career? By the time most athlete. guys get yeah, – yeah, an athlete. I mean, yeah, but by most time people get – by this time – when people get to the UFC, they usually have a style. I don't think Greg Hardy has a style yet, um, and and maybe he'll never get it. Maybe it was just too late, um, you know, to start. Doesn't mean you know that he can't win fights. 
Uh, but I think if, for him to really take the next level, to get to the next level, he's going to have to figure out exactly what he is uh, before he gets into the octagon as opposed to just kind of waddling through fights and, and trying to win any way he can. Guys, now that we have this UFC 264 stuff out of the way, can we talk about the real big story of the week? Do you see <laughs> Nick Diaz? Nick Diaz oh, man. might be ending his, what has it been, a, a six-year absence Ooh. from the octagon? So Dana White sounds pretty optimistic this time that Nick Diaz is going to be back in September. Uh, it's it's like a week after my birthday, so I may have to fly out to Vegas for this card because who knows? I may have to wait another six years to see Nick Diaz if I don't if I don't watch this fight live. So Nick Diaz is going to rematch Robbie Lawler. Now, if you don't remember their first mm. fight, I do, but some of you may not because their first fight was two thousand and four where Diaz, uh, two very, very young fighters, and uh, Lawler was favored in that first fight, and Diaz knocked him out cold with, uh, with uh, I can't remember if it was a left hook or what it was, but he knocked Robbie Lawler out cold standing, and they're going to run it back 17 years later. And I'm like a kid in a candy store, <laughs> and Frank knows this very well. I know James also knows this, but Frank knows this even better. Nick Diaz is by far my favorite fighter. I, I like Nate Diaz. I loved Fedor. I love Alistair Overeem. I loved Mark Hunt. Those are like my favorites of all time. But Nick Diaz is head and shoulders above the rest. I cannot wait to watch him again. And it's going to be, and I feel sorry for uh, Robbie Lawler because, I mean, Nick Diaz's inactivity means that he hasn't absorbed. I mean, think about the punishment that Robbie Lawler has absorbed. Oh, my God. Like, how is that guy still career? standing up? And, like, and, and he had this renaissance in the UFC with American Top Team. And then he had that Rory McDonald fight. Like, oh, my God. I mean, that yeah. fight took years off of my life watching it. I can't imagine what it did to the fighters. So, you know, Robbie is, uh, you know, Robbie's uh, Robbie has uh, weathered too much. And Nick is going to probably repeat the performance. I just hope afterwards we see Nick again soon. Yeah. I don't know who they're going to put years, him in man. there. It's going to be a while. Yeah, but, but I mean, look, I can't believe he's taking a Law Robbie Lawler fight. I mean, normally these guys only come out for the you know for a championship fight or something. So yeah. if if he if he beats Robbie, I think the next thing I have to do is give him a title shot in some division because maybe he fights Masvidal next to get revenge for his brother. Yeah, that would and, be good. You know, that would be a lot of fun to do down in Miami. Yeah, I, I was surprised by the opponent and the matchup because, you know, there's been talks about Chemayev, I thought would have been a tremendous matchup. But Nick Diaz said, no, nah, I, I don't, he, he hasn't earned it. I don't think um, he'd ever heard of him is the problem. Like we yeah. know he's heard of Robbie Lawler because he's fought him before <laughs> and he's fought on the same cards. But I don't yeah. think, I don't think Nick has heard of anyone who has like debuted in the last decade. Yeah, that's true. But from an MMA fan standpoint, I mean, Nick, Nick Diaz versus Chimaev would have been a tremendous, you know, style clash, you know, up and coming versus a legend. You know, there have been so many storylines with that. But, you know, Nick said, he, you know, he hasn't he doesn't pretty much doesn't know who he is. He hasn't earned it. Um, you know, you guys mentioned Masvidal. I think that would have been a great in terms of storyline. Masvidal beats his younger brother. You know, now he's yeah. fighting his older brother, uh, you know, two, uh, you know, gangsters, so to speak, OGs. Um, you know, in the game who are, you know, real outside of the cage as they are inside of the cage. We've been a, a lot of great storylines there. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. The Robbie Lawler thing doesn't really excite me. Um, what is Robbie in his last five fights? I mean, I feel like he's probably one in four or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. In his last sure. five. So not, it's not over a, for Robbie. Yeah, it's over for Robbie. And, uh, you know, it, you know, and and you you brought up the Nate Diaz Masvidal or somebody did. Maybe I did. But, I, you know, <laughs> Nate, 
Nate, uh, Nate really deserves a run back with George because, you know, Nate is a fifth round guy. That's when he's going to get you. You saw the Leon Edwards fight. Oh, uh, he should have won that fight. And it's, it's cuts that stopped it. He wasn't hurt. I mean, in terms of like being able to control himself inside the octagon. So I felt sorry for Nate Diaz uh, in that fight. Um, So maybe Nick goes in there and teaches George a lesson. You know, I feel sorry for right now because he's being treated like chopped liver. Francis Ngannou. I mean, this is this is wild how like he, he, he just wins the belt and he's ready to fight again in September. Okay, and then Dana White decides, well, okay, if you can't fight by August, I don't want to wait an extra month for you to fight. So I'm going to create an interim title between Derek Lewis and Surreal Gone. It's like, guys, I mean, and I understand why Dana is doing this, because he, he thinks all MMA fans are stupid. OK, and he just thinks all that I have to do, unless Conor McGregor's involved, of course. But if it's not a Conor fight, all I have to do to sell a pay-per-view is put a shiny belt on the poster. Right. Whether it's a real belt or an interim belt, all people want to see is there's a title on the line. But anyone with more than seven brain cells in their head that actually watches the sport knows that whoever wins between Derek Lewis and Surreal Gone when Francis Ngannou still exists, Whoever wins the Gon Lewis fight is not going to be taken seriously as any sort of a heavyweight champion. If you want to call it a number one contenders fight, fine. If you don't want to wait one extra month uh, for Ngannou yeah. to fight one of them, fine. Just call it a number one contender Al- fight. Why a fake belt? Alex, you nailed it. That's what it is. That's the yeah. new name for the number one contender fight in the UFC. It's called the interim champion. That's what yeah. they do now because they think it sells better. People don't understand number one contender in terms of buying pay-per-views. So you create a champion, but that's all this is. And so Francis should just calm down. This is what this is. It's his number one contender by a different name. And he gets a belt to walk around with, you know? I I never liked the concept of interim titles from the very, very beginning. And, And it just seems like every few years, they just make up the rules that they go along. What they did with Kobe Covington in terms of, you know, giving him the interim title, but then they didn't get a title shot. And then he had to give up the interim title. And then right. and now he may right. be the number one. Cons- like, it's, it's they just make up the rules as they go along. And now this sets a new precedent. So there have been champions that might fight once a year, once every 16 months or something like that. And Ganu just fought in March. You know, so so you're telling me if he can't fight in six months, if a champion can't fight in six months, they get uh interim title uh person in their division like that's is, that's a new precedent they're going to set just because of this it, it doesn't make any sense just doesn't you know, make any sense at all you know and james you know what really bothers me about this is they're on the precipice of actually having a legit hugely marketable heavyweight champion like Good like point. you know like this is the guy right yeah. like to have this you know so to disrespect him this way almost it's almost like they're trying to take shine away from him, which makes no sense. The heavyweight division has, has forever been the bad division of mixed martial arts. And here you have this physical spectacle, you know, this guy, like, you know, when you think back on the great boxing heavyweights, you would watch them come out and you're like, I'm glad I'm not fighting that guy. You know what I mean? And that's what really gets people excited about it. And Francis is that guy. So I don't know why they're trying to take shine off of him. uh, I, I know why. Well, well, Why is okay. that? because because Francis has had the audacity to ask for more money and complain about fighter pay. And I think I, I think this is Dana White. This is what he does. He plays mind games. I mean, uh, you know, because because obviously Dana, like anyone, he wants to do 
the Ngannou versus John Jones fight. But as we talked about James on onside radio a few weeks ago, you know, Dana, you know, he, he wants to just pay them what's on their contracts. He doesn't want to write new contracts to pay these guys what they're really worth. And, you know, I, I think if, if anyone dare speak up against fighter pay and challenge Dana, Dana is going to use his power to get revenge. And I think Dana White is trying to send Francis Ngannou a message that if you don't do things on my terms, financially and on my terms by my schedule, this is bigger than you. I think Dana White is trying to tell Francis Ngannou that this is not a promotion made up by individuals. Now, some people say it's the Conor McGregor show. I think there's more to it than that. But Dana White, I think, is trying to tell Francis Ngannou, you think you're bigger than the UFC. You've got a contract. You want to fight for more than that. You don't want to honor that. I'm going to show you the fights go on. The schedules go on, and if you don't want to fight on this date for this money, I will find someone else who will, and the show will go on. Alex, it drives me crazy because Francis is the future. Connor's yeah. on his way out. I mean, that really should be the theme of the show. I mean, he is on yeah. his way out, and he is the marketable star in the UFC, just like when Michael Jordan left the NBA and there was this vacuum. I mean, this is what's going to happen to the UFC in the short term. Francis is the bridge. Francis and Ngannou is the marketable superstar that carries them into the post-Connor era. And if if you're right, then Dana is cutting off his nose to spite his face. This guy is all class. He's not going to have the John Jones crap going on where he's, you know, running from his Bentley or whatever his Rolls Royce, you know, after an accident. No, he's just not going to have that. His backstory is ESPN, like, you know, 30 for 30 worthy with his escape from Africa into France and, you know, had no home and everything that he did. I mean, the guy is extraordinary in every way, and he's a highlight knockout real machine. So, I mean, I just don't understand it. I I, I don't know if you could tell. I like Francis Ngannou. So, yeah, I know. I, I, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I like him too, and it, this makes me think, man, are we getting further away from Ngannou and John Jones ever happening? You know, because initially it was expected that maybe they would fight in the summer, then the whole contract and money thing came about, and now this interim title thing is thrown into the mix. So Ngannou's next fight will be against the interim champion. So you're already looking – you can wipe out 2021, you know, maybe early 2022. Maybe we're looking at January, February. And then yeah. that pushes the whole John Jones comeback – or not comeback, but trip to heavyweight. Yeah. That pushes that all the way back to next summer at the earliest. Um, so- I, don't, I don't think Jones wants any part of it unless he's really getting paid uh, because I think he knows this could yeah. be it. <laughs> to, me, to me, you know what I've noticed, Frank? Jones, he seems to because he's been fighting at such a high level for such a long time. He's also had his own personal mistakes and issues that have gotten in the way of his career. But he's still... For, for my money, certainly the best light heavyweight ever and one of the best fighters ever. And I think Jones has gotten to a point where he's been doing this at such a high level for so long. Because what was it, around 2011 when he won the title and, and he hasn't been stopped since then, hasn't been legitimately beaten. He seems jaded to me, Jones. Like, because I, I, I remember, you know, having the privilege of interviewing him a few times when he was a young fighter. It's a lot harder these days to get John Jones on for an interview. And I understand it. Same thing with Conor McGregor. But I remember interviewing Jones many times, like before he really hit the big time. And he, he seemed like such a company man, right? Like Dana White asked me to jump. I asked him how high. Like, oh, I'm just happy to be here. And I think once you are at that high level for a long time, it just changes it. Okay, I do want to I, I want to bring in here. We, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I do want to bring in our next special guest who I'm really looking forward to watching. And I love 
I love the guys who train locally. He trains at Sanford MMA. Gabriel Barletta joins us now here on on five rounds. Oh, dude, I love the beard, man. You look like yeah, you're right. ready, ready to go. How are you, Gabriel? Yeah. Thank you so much for taking some time. Hey, man, thank you guys for having me. This is like the uh, the war beard. You know, us fighters get a little rugged as fight time comes close. So, yeah, don't worry. I'm still showering and still conditioning. Shampoo, beard bomb. Any, any sponsors that want to just throw me a beard bomb, by all means, this thing's getting a little out of hand. Well, listen, I don't have to smell you, so I, I wouldn't be offended if you weren't showering. But, yeah, you're, you're, you're a little over a week away from your fight, July 16th on Combate Global. Uh, and that fight, it's going to be accessible to everybody, man, through CBS Sports, Paramount+. Plus. There, there's a Spanish broadcast for that as well. So how you feeling, man? Are, are you ready for this? Because you're almost at go time. How's the training camp going? Oh, it's gone phenomenal. You know, I got the I got the call a little more than two weeks out, but <clears throat> I'm always training hard. I live locally, like you said. I live in South Florida. I train with some of the best guys in the business. And we, you know, Bolt saying goes, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And these are the great opportunities, you know. And uh, I didn't really need a big camp because I was I was fishing for a fight, you know, in in early June. Didn't really come through. Got the win that you know Combate was going to do their pretty much super series of fights. Pretty much they've been doing crazy fights every week, pretty much. So got on the card and was just really fortunate for the opportunity at hand. You know, decided to showcase my skills. Okay, so, Gabriel, yeah. if, if I'm not mistaken, you're on a two-fight winning streak. What, what's going right for you um, during this run as you try to go for three in a row? Uh, you know, just evolving the game, maturing. You know, in and outside of the training room. Uh, really just staying consistent as as everything goes you know just chipping away realizing that this game is a marathon you know the guys that make it to the top at the younger age you know a lot of them don't last you know you see a lot of guys get the title at 27 28 years old and they're not the guys that have, have the long reigns i'm in this for longevity you know i want to build a legacy in the sport so i'm prepared to take whatever route i have to to accomplish the goals that i set out for myself as a young man and this is just one more step towards them you have any uh, any expectations uh, for your opponent you're going to be taking on, Jair Perez? Have you had a chance to study him? What are you expecting? I have. You know, like we said, it wasn't an eight-week camp or a 12-week camp, which, I, you know, I don't really care for. And then COVID times, you have to be prepared because shows will fall apart. Opponents will change. You guys know how it's been. So uh, I know that he's a very game opponent. We have the same record on paper. He's fought most of his fights down south in, in Mexico in some some good promotions as well. Um, he's, he's coming, you know, he's coming ready. You know, he, he didn't fly all the way out here to take an L to some, some kid across the way. So, you know, I'm preparing for that. You know, I'm preparing for the old Julio Cesar Chavez Mexican warrior style that, you know, I'm sure he's watching a lot of Canelo coming in here. He's coming in ready to take me out. So I'm doing the same, you know, I'm doing the same. I'm, I'm not expecting it to go to the final bell. You know, it's a shorter camp for both of us. He, you know, it's a big opportunity, a lot of eyes and, now, my expectations are, you know, someone's getting finished and you know, it's not going to be me. Gabriel, what, what's it like training at Stanford MMA? It's a, a great experience. You know, I'm very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to train at Stanford. You know, we have a, a, a smaller room compared to the other super teams, you'd call them. But, you know, it's it's quality over quantity here. You know, the coaches are very reciprocal to the training that we need. Um, the facility is incredible. If you guys ever have a chance to come down here, by all means, I'd love to show you around. It's a, a great facility. I've trained at one other facility in my life that was also phenomenal. So it's it's great to have these opportunities. Like I said before, you know, not many people in the world, especially young in the game as as I am, have the opportunities that I have right now. So very grateful and, you know, realize the task at hand and, you know, going to take care of business in a week.
Yeah, and as a quick, quick follow-up, uh, I always like to ask guys about other people in the gym. Give us a name, maybe a guy that we don't know in the gym who's killing it right now that, that may three, four years from now be bursting on the scene. And it's like, oh, yeah, Gabriel mentioned him. Other, other than me you're talking about. Yeah, other than, other than you, exactly. <laughs> uh, listen, I, could, I, I have a room full of buddies that, you know, honestly, we've, we've came up the ranks from amateurs. Um, Devin Dixon is someone. Um, Bobby uh, Castellano, if I'm saying his last name, he's another good kid from New York that's been training with us for a while. So many prospects I could go on. Literally, we have a, a room full of high-level guys that are in the big show. I'm looking at the board now, and it's, you know, nonstop. You know, and then on the up-and-comers, you know, the, the quote, prospects that we have in the room are, are top to bottom, every weight class. So, I mean, we're definitely making waves as we did in 2020. And 2021 is going to be an even bigger year for the gym, I believe. And, and hey, like, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, go ahead, Frank. Uh, Gabriel, we uh, we've been talking for a while about uh, the fight card on Saturday. If I could transition to that for the There's UFC. a fight Saturday. Yeah, and, uh, and no, you know, people always want to know who professional fighters what they think about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, could you tell me like which fight you're excited about and why uh, for, uh, on the main card? On the main card, yeah, I was going to say my dog is Omar Yakhmetov against Brad Tavares. I think that's oh, a sleeper okay. right there. I think okay. if you're going to parlay and you're going to take a risk, stay away from Connor. The odds are too close, and plus DP's got that calf kick that everyone's talking about. So I would, I would pick Omar over Brad. Um, there are some good fights. You know, I'm a, uh, you know I enjoy uh, speculating. I haven't kept up to, you know, snuff with uh, this part too much other than you know gilbert gilbert's on the fighting thompson and you know he's training here so it was, it was great to see him get his camp done you know he's had a lot of a lot of good stuff happen so i'm excited for that fight um obviously i'm i'm you know dp and connor who isn't you know even the casuals that came out of the woodwork for this one so uh you know top to bottom great card can't really tell us a bad thing about it you know you guys i'm sure you guys know even more than i know at this point uh, I think it's it's going to be fun to watch. You know, I think it'll be a fun fight week, or well, not fight week, but uh, you know, fun weigh-in rather. And uh, we'll see some see some fun stuff come fight night. Yeah, you know, Gabriel, I love your insight as a fighter because you mentioned the calf kicks, which are they, they've really become popular over the last couple of years. Like you know, grow, growing up on this sport, I, I don't really remember that technique a whole lot until recently. It's become this secret weapon. Oh, you know what? Uh, Henderson's been throwing that for years. People seem so, to. Fr- I don't know how yeah. he doesn't get this. Someone gave someone else. Joe Rogan's been screwing it up. You know, I'm gonna call that guy because he's been talking about this calf kick like it's brand new. I remember yeah. watching him fight uh, Pettis in the WEC throwing that calf kick. And I was thinking, you never see this in traditional kickboxing Muay Thai because those guys check everything. You know, MMA has that different stance that allows the weight on the front leg to get taken out like that. You know, you get wrestlers that are, you know, about to penetrate and take that big forward step. That's where this calf kick has really changed the game. And obviously karate stances are more exposed to it. Connor was all, you know, the stance, the stance. But in reality, you know, you, you, that's, a, that's a kick you read in the fight. That's not something I'm going to come out and calf kick the guy, unless you're just engaged and you just don't care about your shins. You know, I mean, you just really have to you just set it up. You have to put the guy in the right area. Otherwise, if you try and calf kick someone, it's like uh, like uh, you could be Anderson Silva or Chris Weidman. It's a low inside kick or a low outside kick. Those are the worst part to connect. If you've ever taken one, take it. Take my word on it. With shin pads, it sucks. Yeah, I hope I never take one. And, and that's the I'm thing. I'm over here. Like, I'm on. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I'm good. 
Yeah, we'll come down to the camp and you can show the three of us. Uh, yeah. How yeah, right. we got a few guys that are pretty solid at it. <laughs> oh, man. So, listen, Gabriel, I'm so glad you could take some time for us. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to send a message to the fans out there. I mean, guys, this is, you know, not, not all of them, but a lot of our viewers are in South Florida. This is a hometown guy here. What can the fans expect from you next week? Fireworks, man. The Florida man's coming out to play. You know, look at this Florida beard. This is, this is something that you'd Google out of my beard. Uh, you know, I, I'm just... If you tune in, if you've ever seen me fight, if you look me up, you, you kind of know what, what I bring when the bell rings. You know, I'm a exciting fighter. I come for the finish. I come to fight every time. I'm sure my opponent is the exact same mindset coming into this big opportunity, like I said earlier. Um, I'm just super grateful for the opportunity presented, you know, having the platform to, to fight in front of so many people to, you know, really show my skills in a time where it's not easy to get fights. It really is. I know people you know, we'll, we'll complain, but honestly, I had, I really was trying to get a fight for a long time, you know, whether it be a, a larger promotion, a smaller promotion, I was looking for it. So I'm come next Friday, I'm looking to fight. So that's what I have to say. If you really want to watch true fighting, then tune in Friday night. And, you know, to everyone in Florida, you know, just that's my home right there. You know, I, I represent Florida to the fullest. So all my local sponsors, all those guys, all the big shows, all the little shows, the regional shows, there's regional shows going on that week, amateur shows going on that week. If you're not watching me, try and catch one of them because, you know, that's how we get our start, you know, so really pay it forward to the next guy. And that's, that's really what I want to do. So. Great stuff. man. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I know all of our viewers and listeners will be supporting Gabriel Barletta next week on Paramount plus and CBS sports network combate global. Thank you so much, man. And enjoy all your last minute training sessions, the weight cut. I hope it's a smooth one. We'll talk to you again, man. Listen, hopefully I have a cheeseburger in my hand. Alex, James, gentlemen, everyone, I want to thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, get out here and, and talk to you guys. Even, you know, for I only know I just came, literally just came off the mat, and I feel bad. I probably should have been here a little earlier, but, you know, I listened to you guys chop it up with some good banter about the heavyweights, and, you know, I really thank you. Hopefully we can, we can talk after the fight as well with, uh, with a W under my name. We'd love to, man. Yeah. And Thank you're going to get that one to it. It's all good. So really good stuff there. I mean, guys, uh, some some parting comments before we wrap this one up, James. Um, are, are you expecting this Poirier-McGregor fight to be an absolute blockbuster? Because, yeah, you know, the, the second one was, was a barn burner. The first one, if you go way back to 2014, was a very entertaining fight, albeit a, a quick finish for Conor McGregor. Do you think fans will get their money's worth from this fight and this card? I, I do. Um, if, if there is a finish, I think it's going to be a violent one. Um, so, you know, it could be quick and violent or it can be a long, drawn out, you know, main event. I, I always like the longer fights for the better fights. I, I, I want to see Connor in round four and round five. You know, does he how, how does he adjust? I want to see Poirier. I want to see both guys hurting, you know, both guys testing their heart, you know, see who really wants it. Um, you know, that, that's the kind of fight that I want to see. But you know, if it's a quick knockout, you know, in the first or second round, I mean, that's just as shocking no matter, you know, who gets the victory in that one. So I, I don't see how this can't be an exciting fight uh, considering the two guys. I, I mean, look, I know we've talked a lot of the negatives about Connor, but in terms of positive about Connor, when has he ever had a boring fight? Uh, he's never – I can't remember any boring fight that he's had. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you always get your money's worth when Connor's in the octagon, win or lose. Um, I'm picking Poirier by a little bit, by a little edge. Uh, I'm leaning Poirier in this one, but I, I think fans will definitely get their money's worth. What about you, Frank? Money's worth? Yeah, because, you know, you get your money's worth when you see knockouts. And I think you're liable to see at least two. Uh, Greg Hardy's head rolling off the canvas. And I think uh, 
and I think you, you you might see a knockout in the main event. And then, you know, the co-main, you're seeing, you know, one of the up-and-coming superstars in the UFC today and Gilbert Burns against maybe the best striker uh, or one of the best strikers we've ever seen in the UFC, albeit, as James pointed out, a little long in the tooth. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see how you lose on this one. And I'm super excited about it also because normally when you have Conor McGregor at the top of the card, they mail it in with the rest mm. of the fights, you know. Yeah. But this time they gave us some meat on the bone, um, which I which I really appreciate because for $70 and an ESPN Plus subscription, you know, I want meat on the bone. So, uh, so yeah. I'm excited. This is definitely one to pay for. Well, yeah, it, it, a huge thanks to Frank and James and everyone who tuned in and partook in the live chat and all that good stuff. I want to send a huge shout out to the newest member of the Five Reasons Sports family, and that is the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Chances are if you roll up to any quarterdeck, quarter whether it be the one in Davie where I dined a couple days ago, the one in Sunrise, I used to live right by that one, Fort Lauderdale, oh my God. You're going to see me there, guys, knocking down some of those buffalo shrimp, which is my favorite appetizer on planet earth and i have become addicted at quarter deck and and this is something when i first started dining at quarter deck uh like 11 12 years ago this was not even an option there the sushi which and this is not a new thing they've had sushi for the last six or seven years but i have become absolutely addicted to it i love the build your own poke bowls i love the Mike's creative sushi rolls. Everything is so good at the quarter deck. And sometimes, my God, sometimes I just feel like a cheeseburger. And they do a great job with that as well. The seafood is fresh and delicious. The burgers and sandwiches are awesome. In fact, when I was out at the quarter deck, Davey, this past Tuesday, I had the new menu item, which is the jerk chicken sandwich. And it was spicy. And I'm a man's man. Like, I like my food. You ask me how spicy I want it. I say, well, how spicy can you make it? And they made it really, really spicy. And it was absolutely great. You knock it down with some cold beer. You finish up your meal with the key lime cheesecake. Oh, you always want to save room for dessert, my friends. And I know our guy, Ethan Skolnick. Uh, the CEO, El Presidente of Five Reasons Sports. He's out at the one on 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale. He's he's a bar fly there. He's out there every single day. So go go out there and find Ethan. Go to the Davy location and find me. Quarterdeck, this is what we say, my friends. The Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. This is where you come for the food and stay for the fun. And it's also a great place to watch the UFC pay-per-view events. And, and Frank, they're going to have it out there this Saturday, right? They're going to have UFC 264. Yeah, we're going to have it at the Plantation, Davy, and 17th Street locations, uh, nice. as we always do. But nice. uh, yeah, expect big crowds this Saturday. That is going to be awesome. So huge thanks to Frank, to James. I'm Dono. Huge shout out to Manny Chang behind the scenes. We will talk to you guys again next week on another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network.